Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 197, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Light. My name is Cedric Golden, joined as usual by the Duck and Duck Jam Pack Pod today. What's going on, bro? Just living the life. Uh, yeah, that, that that is so cliche. You can do better than that. Now, we'll have uh, Brad McMurphy of Stadium Network join us a little later. But first, an old friend. He's the host of Sikkim 365 Radio, and he knows all things Baylor. My former Tyler Wright going all the way back, and we are all – he's one of the brains behind the Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award, of which we vote on, Duck. David Smoke. What's up, Smokey? Hey, man, what's up? How you guys doing? Good to have you. Good to be with you. And uh, I think there's going to be a game Saturday. Wow, that's breaking news. I like to hear that. <laughs> that is music we, to our ears. Are we sure about that, Smoke? <laughs> yeah, I. you know, well, you're never sure about anything now. But, you know, it's been weird. It's been, you know, you, you've uh, – I'll never forget the law tech shut that game down, what was it, a month ago on a Tuesday? Uh-huh. I think the one that really was the one that stung a little bit was the day before Houston when they had some things flare up. And I, I believe the defensive line was pretty much obliterated with tests. And then, and then unfortunately, that came back from West Virginia. And it, it all indications – we had Mac Rhodes on our show yesterday. All indications were that they had a false negative. You know, you hear about the false positives. But – and it's almost like you're on an airplane, a hotel room, team meetings. You're like almost in an incubation. And somebody is, was positive. It didn't come out that way. And next thing you know, you've got a couple of dozen and more. Plus, you got – was it 28 football players, 14 football staff, which could be anybody, not just coaches. But, yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was pretty tough. It's pretty I – don't, I don't know how – I have no idea what we'll see Saturday because they haven't played. They they lost a week and a half of practice, but we'll see. Yeah, they haven't practiced since what October seventh or something. Yeah, they started. They got back on the field I think Sunday. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm sure it's been pretty lively, just like it has been for Texas after them having a a, a you know an off week or whatever. But it's uh, I, I heard Tom Herman in his press conference say he feels for his friend. Of course, they were old roommates, but in the fact that you've had to deal with it. But Baylor's not the only team, and you never know. Next week it could be somebody else. I know. We said and I are still very skeptical of the Big Ten, Pac-12. They're going to get through their schedules because, you know, they don't they don't have much leeway. They don't have many buys built in, if any at all. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, let's talk about Dave Aranda. This is the uh, Cal Lutheran Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, between these two ex-teammates uh, at Thousand Oaks, California school. Uh, what do you think of Dave Aranda so far? I mean, poor guy has played only two games, but uh, what impressions has Dave Aranda made on you so far, Smokey? You know, one thing that, that when I when was, his name was the one that popped, that he was going to get hired by Baylor, and I talked to some guys who cover LSU, and they had mentioned something that, you know, he's not going to be a man of many words. But, you know, he actually, I think – He's been really good. Uh, he's a he's a deep thinker. Whatever some people want to think of that, that but you know he um, it's been it's it's I you know you have certain personalities that are there for a reason. I think Matt Rule was perfect after all that went down in fifteen and sixteen, right? Uh, and, and I think Dave Aranda might have been the perfect hire. I, I we don't know that yet as far as wins and losses, but as far as the personality and how he handles, you know, he's not going to get too high, he's not going to get too low. Right. He told me one time that Tony Dungy mentioned to him 
that because of his personality, and Dungey had to deal with this, Lovey Smith has had to deal with this, is that, you know, they're not yellers and screamers. Right. And so that when you, if you lose a game or two, people are going to want you to change and don't stop being who you are. Believe in what you do, be who you are, don't change. And uh, I, I haven't really been able to just sit down with him one time. And that was the day he was hired. And I was able to sit down with him at McLean stadium for an interview. Everything else has been by like you guys zoom. But uh, I, I think he's, you know, he's not gotten too high and too low and this is easy to get up and down, you know, the roller coaster of the frustrations. And I think maybe his personality has helped them maneuver through whatever this has been the last several weeks. And I look at it and, 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 and for some reason, uh, uh, Coaches, black coaches or coaches of color, if they aren't, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Nick Saban ranting and raving and yelling, uh, there's the perception out there that they're not engaged. And I've I've talked to him. He's a low key dude. Yeah. But I don't care how, I don't care how you act on the sideline. Those defenses at LSU were scary defenses for the most part. And I know the Aggies were in on him, and uh, but he had a head coach written all over him. As far as what he's got going now, you lose seven seniors off that Sugar Bowl defense, including the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, uh, James Lynch, and my favorite, Big Bravion Roy. I, I, I just enjoyed talking to him. Um, but I saw a stat in smoke, 503 tackles you lose, 20 sacks, eight interceptions, so it's not like uh, the cupboard was filled when he came in. How has he been able to uh, get these younger, more inexperienced guys on the same page with this COVID stuff going on? One of the things that Matt Rule told me many times, even back when they were struggling through 1-11 early on before they got to a bowl in year two, was he wanted his program to be where players were their best in their fourth and fifth year, which is kind of patience which is marinating is a word I use, you know, which is getting to be grown men. And I think maybe that uh, there's a lot of guys that didn't pl- – they played a, they played quite a bit last year, but not starters like Lynch and Roy and Graylin Arnold and Jamison Houston and Clay Johnston and whoever else. But let me tell you something. Terrell Bernard is as good as any linebacker in the country. Nice. Uh, they don't have that big, huge – uh, presence inside. Bravion Roy's already playing in the NFL. James Lynch is playing in the NFL. Graylin Arnold has been on and off the Eagles practice squad and active roster. And and so they've got some people. And, and you know, Raleigh Tejada, a cornerback uh, who's, uh, who's been through the death of his grandfather, that, uh, you know, he he's a really good player. Uh, I, 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 we, but we, you know, they beat up Kansas. You know, early on, Kansas had a couple of plays that hit him. Puka Williams hit him with the play. And they really played well against West Virginia. They forced a bunch of turnovers in that game. The offense was just awful. Offensive line was bad. Charlie Brewer was not playing well. They just couldn't do anything until it was like frenetic at the end and they started moving the football. And then Brewer made the decision and he threw the pick. I still think this is just who they are now. I think this is a Baylor football team. And I know they're going to go up against a very explosive offense at UT with Ellinger. But I think this is who they are. They're going to – this is kind of – that's why Aranda might have been also the good fit with Mac Rhodes' hire because this they're going to play stingy, hair on fire, run to the football defense. Doesn't mean they won't give up some points and yards to certain people. But, you know, Ron Roberts and Aranda, they know each other. So that, that was a good fit. You guys know Fedora, what he's doing on offense, which they got to get better quickly. Uh, they, they have had a lot of defensive linemen who have missed games. Well, I say games, they've played two. But they've had problems with COVID. They have guys who are in their fourth and fifth years who are grown men, and I think that it, they are ready to step up, and they have been so far. But who are they? I don't think we're going to know for another two or three weeks. Yeah, you're probably right. And, and you mentioned Terrell Bernard, uh, a commitment to uh, Tom Herman when he was at Houston and uh, before he ended up in Waco. I think he may be the best linebacker in the country. I mean, I think he's clearly the best in the Big 12 and, and probably, you know, if he can at least get in some more games, maybe the defensive player of the year. So, and I think that's where Dave's stamp is going to be. Obviously, he comes from defense, and I thought Dave and Brent Venables were probably the co-defensive coordinators of not just the year. They were the best in the game. So, and you mentioned offense. Uh, what do you think uh, Larry Fedora's offense – 
is supposed to look like? What does he not want to depend on Charlie Brewer, not run Charlie Brewer as much? Because Love and Ebner, he's got a couple of good running backs. Well, their offensive line has been a mess, guys. Uh, and, and really, if you think about it, even Rule's first year, they had six scholarship players on the offensive line. And that seemed that. like about a decade ago, but it's true. <laughs> Last year, they were okay. They were, they, you know, they were able to, the defense would tighten the game up. They didn't have to do anything crazy on occasion. Brewer had to take them down for a field goal against what? Maybe Texas Tech or Iowa State. And of course, they, they, they really, their best moment was the first half a year against Oklahoma when they were dominating that game and then let it get slip away. Um, he wants to get the ball out fast. He, I think he wants to protect Charlie. I know there's been always a lot of the scuttlebutt about Charlie and his health. He's taken some hits. The hit against Georgia was more of his neck than it was the, the, the concussion issue that has been brought up before. There's no question he's taken a beating in his three years. He took a beating. That's what I love about the guy. I mean, you know, he, he's, he does not want to come out of a game. He's, you know, he's just a competitor. I bumped into him, and I know you're talking about Fedora, but I bumped into Charlie at a golf course over the summer. He just happened to be getting out, playing with a couple of guys, and I just happened to be there. And I, he has this smile, and he had it at Lake Travis, and he's had it at kind of this little grin that's kind of like it's saying something without saying something. He couldn't wait to get into this office with Fedora. Mm-hmm. Well, against Kansas, it was okay. Ebner stole the show. It was terrible against West Virginia. They couldn't get out of their own way. But they could not stop losing yards, get eight, lose three, jump off sides, false starts, holding calls. And remember now, they had guys who were involved in that game that did not play in the first game. And I don't know if they, they – Burton's a tackle, the kid from UCLA. He's, he played guard. A guard played tackle. It, it was Newman didn't – had a chance – you know, he hadn't played. He was suspended the first game. That's what I think hurt the most about being shut down football-related activities when they did because that was a week they needed to practice. They needed to get reps and cohesiveness, and they didn't get that. That's not an excuse, and a lot of people are dealing with that. But so I'll, it'll be interesting to see how they play on the offensive line. They still didn't start practicing till Sunday, but Charlie also was not at his best, and we know he's a gamer. If there's 75 yards and you need him to come up with a way to get down the field, he and Ellinger are two of the best at, you know, just kind of somehow willing their team. Almost did it against Texas in 18, remember? Throwing right. the ball in the end zone, it would have been a shocking upset. But he, his, you know, he's not going to – I think they're trying to get rid of the ball quickly. But you can't do that, and you can't be effective if they can't run the ball, and they could not run the ball. Ebner was non-existent against West Virginia. Non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Fedora wants to do almost a West Coast type offense where you get rid of the ball quickly. They have to get Tyquan Thornton involved. He's a blazing speed burner from Florida. He was dynamic last year. They have not been able to get him involved at all. And uh, so I'm not sure what they're going to do to try to get him loose, but you got to run the ball to set up those deep throws. And, and, and David, we love, we love Charlie Brewer. I, I, I like a man's man at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just answers the questions. Uh, doesn't dodge anything. And when I'm saying he doesn't dodge anything, I'm talking about on the field too. <laughs> How much oh, yeah. of it is Charlie Brewer needing to get his tail <laughs> out of bounds and not taking on these big guys? That, yes. uh, that, that hit against Georgia was a cheap shot. Uh, he was out of, you know, that was a late hit. No, that wasn't his fault. But how much of it is him being a little bit smarter and knowing that he, he needs to preserve himself and not fight for that extra two or three yards. Well, you know, I think he's getting it, – it's one thing to say it. Remember Ellinger had to kind of go through this early on. He was wanting to take on everybody, and he, he got knocked out against Oklahoma like early on in his career. And, and he's still – when it's time – when you – like there was a run against TCU last year. I think it might have been a regulation or overtime when they won that game in Fort Worth and Brewer – took on somebody at the goal line and won it. And he's been involved in a lot of these quarterback sneaks at the one. He's not That's the big, goal line. That's the yes. goal line. That's fine. I mean, yeah. And, but, but at the same time against West Virginia, you're not sure if you guys saw this, he was getting out of bounds and he took a late hit and the hit pushed him into like that big, huge air conditioner. Oh and he God. got up and I don't think he ever got over. Not that as far as the hit, I think he, 
may have sprained his ankle a little bit or is he bruised his quad is what I think we heard. And he just, if he doesn't have that ability to escape with the instincts in the pocket, he's not going to outrun many people, but he always seems to be a, a kind of a step ahead. Mm-hmm. He, he's not going to run over many people, but he always seems to be able to do that. I don't think against West Virginia, he had his mobility. I think that quad got him. And, I, and there's a few times when Charlie would have been able to otherwise get it loose. And you hope, if you're a Baylor fan, and you hope for Charlie Brewer because he's fun to watch, that he maybe this layoff has allowed him to get everything healthy again. I, I just wonder, in some respect, Charlie and Sam are the same person. Uh, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. They're just – Ellinger's bigger. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Charlie beat him straight up last year. Of course, Baylor's defense was fantastic in that game and right. dominated – but, yeah, they both come from, you know, and here's what's going to be the over-under during the broadcast. How many times are we going to hear that UT's Charlie Brewer's dad played at Texas and they never recruited him? I'm so tired of those same things that they talk about. You know, with Ellinger wanted to be a UT quarterback when he was three. We know that. Shipley and McCoy were roommates. Okay, we know. You don't have to tell us that every week. Charlie was not recruited. He's fine. Ellinger was. He's doing well. These right. are two guys that are elite. Texas high school foot, football quarterbacks. I love the way both of them play. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder about their NFL prospects. Uh, you know, do you hear much from uh, NFL scouts on Charlie? No, no, not really. And and I tell you what, I had his father on Robert, who's great and very, very, very transparent. This was right before they were about to play their first game. Uh, actually, it was before they're going to play Houston. And I asked him about that mulligan year now that college has given right. all the athletes. Right. And I, I honestly believe – I don't know what Sam's thinking. I don't. But it sounded like that option was very much a positive thing in the Brewer family. They hadn't really talked about it, but they had. You know what I mean? They yeah. had to worry about, at the time, Houston and then whoever else. But I think that that is something very intriguing to oh. uh, Charlie Brewer and also who, to the Brewer family. Wow. I'm gonna tell you, man. If I could, if I could get another year of education, and I don't, and if he's graduating and and can maybe, if he wants to go to grad school, if the NFL's not a deal, and you can get it for free, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Oh, I, and and you know, work on whatever else, another degree or your master's, whatever. And and I don't, you know, first of all, I would never bet against either one of those guys, Ellinger or Brewer. I would never bet against them, no matter if they lose games or not. Mm-hmm. But. I, I I do feel like for Charlie, that rule is perfect for him. And then you get the chatter because they didn't play well against West Virginia. And then Zeno looks so good and dynamic in that Big 12 championship game. And Bohannon's a dual-threat guy. And there's chatter on the message boards. Well, I don't know. You know, Bohannon and Zeno, listen, if I could get Charlie Brewer for another year, unless he just eventually just evaporates physically, I want him for another year if I can get him for another year. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's almost like when I say they're the same guy, they're smart, they're cerebral. They're not the greatest quarterback specimens. They both run. They'll throw their bodies around. They'll do anything to help their team win. So I, I think said and I think Sam's gone for sure. But now, now if the bottom falls out of Texas – and they made a coaching change, and Urban Meyer or somebody came in. Yeah, you know, who, who knows how that plays in the people's minds? But uh, yeah, you're right. And you know, you touched on something about the offensive line being a mess. Poor Dave Aranda. I mean, yeah, a lot of people didn't have spring ball. Okay, Dave doesn't know his players yet as players. He knows them as people, and, and not as well as he wants to because of Zoom. But you got to know your personnel, right, Sid? And, you know, and Dave, it's like, who can play? Who can I count on in the clutch? And he doesn't have that, you know, reservoir of knowledge, does he, David? No, and, and he did say that the, the Zoom meetings allowed him to contact various players every day. But that's, you know, that's like you and I, we're not, the three of us are still not in the same room where we could right. maybe even have more conversation before we started doing this, this podcast. And then even afterwards, and, and we all three know each other very well. But one of the things that I remember, I used to sit down in Matt Rule's office on Mondays about 11, whatever it was, and I'd get 12 to 15, 20 minutes with him. The, the interview, and he was really good at those. And Aranda is too. The part that I enjoyed was the two to five minutes afterwards where I could talk to Matt about certain things, what's going on with the team. He had an open door policy. 
He had players in there all the time. They had that room that they turned into kind of a game room where guys would eat pizza, watch Monday Night Football, play whatever games there were, and they were hanging around each other. That's when you get to know the players. And really, that's been very few and far between. And you're talking about a guy that was hired in the early part of the year, no spring drills. And again, not the only program that's gone through that, not the only first-year coach that's gone through this. But And then not on, on top of that, like the last couple of the last couple of weeks have evaporated. You know, you didn't get a chance to do much with them. He didn't see them. Right. And uh, if they win, if they get somehow to four or five wins, I know a lot of people will say, oh, my God, they got to do better than that. If they happen to beat Texas, you know, everything looks pretty good. Then you continue on. You never know what you might do. I just think that it's uh, – it, I, I, I do think that that's missing. Doesn't mean he doesn't know them pretty well, but it's, it's just not that same thing when you're not around them all of the time like you normally would be, like in a university in a college football program. Right. Every, what every you, coach has that signature win. Go yes. ahead. Well, David, um, last one for me because I, I do want to ask you a little bit after this about the Cowboys. Now, okay. you're a big guy. But what happens this weekend? The, it is such an unknown. It's a 2.30 kickoff. Uh, national television, what Baylor team shows up? Because um, we know – we, we kind of feel like the Texas team that shows up is going to be really bad on defense, and Sam's probably going to play pretty well. That's been their identity. But what, what happens with Baylor this weekend? You know, it's too bad right now. You, and, I, and this is not disrespectful to Baylor's offense, but we just haven't seen. You know, we don't know what they're going to do, new coordinators and all the things, as I mentioned, with the offensive line. Wouldn't you like to have right now – uh, either one of those quarterbacks with the UT's offense and what they've done and what Baylor's done on defense, you'd be pretty damn good. You know, mm -hmm. you'd, be, you'd be pretty good. But I, I, I think Baylor has to be better on offense. They have to. And it's not because they're playing Texas. And I know they've struggled on defense. I heard Herman mention they're getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better statistically. Um, Baylor's going to be really good on defense. They're going to, you know, again, it's a challenge. If, if Do they have somebody that spies Ellinger? And if they do, does that open up the deep ball? And then Texas seems like sometimes their best plays throw the deep fade, either get a pass interference call or maybe something else. They, it's, I'm, I think Baylor play I – get, I get the suspicion that you're going to play better. I get this – they'll play more cleanly on offense. If they get a couple of early false starts or a holding call, then, then again, they're going to go right back in that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. I do think they'll play better on offense. Uh, I think defensively they're just going to be pretty good most of the year. There'll be a game or two when they get into one of these you know, hair-on-fire shootouts when you can't control it. And I'm not so sure that wouldn't be a good thing Saturday because that means that the offense is producing pretty well. I, they're going to have to get a couple of turnovers, I think, early. They're going to have to get a couple of things that happen to them early. Good because the last thing on their mind was losing the game in overtime to West Virginia, which is no different than UT against Tech, no different against UT against what, Oklahoma or TCU or whoever. It's a play. You know, it's usually one play. They make a play. If Brewer doesn't throw a pick in the end zone, who knows? Uh, there's a couple of things that happened even before they went to overtime. They missed some field goals. That's, an, that's one thing we talk offense and defense. Their special teams at West Virginia was a disaster. They missed field goals. Uh, they, they didn't have anything really in the return game, which you got to give West Virginia credit for that. Ebner ran back a punt in that game against Kansas. But their, their special teams last year, Baylor with Rauschenberg and with Mayers and whoever else, remember, they kicked game-winning field goals. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. they, they were clutch, and they yeah. weren't against West Virginia. They make one of those early field goals in the first half. I don't think that game ever – I think they end up, you know, end up winning a game like 20 to 10 or something like that. And that's something that really came back to bite them at the end against West Virginia. Yeah. Two last things I wanted to ask for you guys talk about the Cowboys a little bit. Uh, is there one or two Baylor players that, that uh, Baylor fans and even Longhorn fans should look for that – they're coming on. It's like, here's a young talent. Hadn't quite made his name yet, but uh, he's uh, – he's, be on the lookout for this guy. Anybody that you would have in mind to keep an eye on? You know, they, they, uh, they need somebody else in the receiving game. They, again, Thornton hasn't done much. They need him to get untracked. R.J. Sneed's a guy that's, that is uh, kind of their possession receiver. There's a couple of players. They may not get but two or three touches, but if they do, that's good news. Squirrel Williams, who played down in the Houston area, he was out all of last year. 
He scored against Kansas. It was a great story. And also Josh Fleeks, who played at Cedar Hill, and Joey McGuire's the one that knows him. Those are two playmakers. They're not going to get a lot of touches. They're not going to have the touches of Ebner or Lovett. They're going to be one of those in key positions, key spots that that can give them a boost in the offense. Josh Fleeks from Cedar Hill and Squirrel Williams, those are two playmakers. I think – they need one of those two to step up. I had an assistant coach tell me he thought Josh Fleets would be the most improved player. Of course, everything's out the window now with all the changes. and You, you right. haven't had a lot going on. I would right. think that uh, – I, I really – Kalen Barnes, the cornerback, who's a sprinter, like he set up like a, a U.S. record in the 100 uh, maybe a couple of years ago. I, I like what he – I love to see him get his hands on the football and open field and see what he can do. But mm-hmm. I think that on the offensive end, it's either Fleeks or Squirrel Williams. Both of them are dynamic. They're not going to get many touches. They might go two weeks and not get one touch. But right. one of them has to make some kind of a play. And then Kalen Barnes at cornerback and see what he can do because he, he seems to be a healthy, back, and ready to go. And the last thing on Matt Rule, is he happy in the NFL? I just yeah. think the world to him and – I think he could probably pick his spot in college wherever if he wanted to come back. But do you think he's happy there and doing yeah, well? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, you know that people could always say whatever they want. That was something that was just a matter of time, and he, he picked the right time. He got the right owner, the right franchise. Hell, they're three and three. They won, what, two or three games in a row. We yeah. had him on. We had him on, and, you know, you could tell. It, he's a little bit – it's not that he's more guarded. It's just a different animal. I mean, the NFL is a different, as you guys both know, it's a different yeah. kind of a beat when it comes to handling what you say and what you do. But I, I, I know they had a tough loss this past week, but now he's happy. He, he's, he's pretty happy. I was going to go see him. I was going to go see him uh, during training camp. You know, we're going to spend some money, go up there and kind of sit around, watch what he does. Of course, that was all out the window pretty quickly. But, uh, yeah, he, he's, in his, he's in his little uh, – He's in his little heaven right now, I think, no yeah. question about it. He's right. an NFL coach. I mean, we always saw, we all saw that in him. He's a coach, coach. So, uh, before we go, Smoke, uh, Cowboys under siege, Mike McCarthy, players anonymously telling Jane Slater that, that he, the coaching staff's totally unprepared. Yeah. We get this fixed. Uh, well, will he be a well, one-hitter quitter? Will Jerry pull the plug if this thing goes completely south? The good news for them, they're in the NFC East, but that, that doesn't, you know, again, that's like putting, you know, uh, lipstick on a pig. Whoever wins that division, they're all ugly, every one of them. Six and ten, um, they get it done. Yeah, I, here, here's, first of all, anonymous player quotes anger me. Mm-hmm. I understand we, we, we have our sources and whatever, but B, have the you know what's to give your name. Put your name on it. Say something. Yeah. I remember there's been a couple of – that culture, you know, we, you talk about culture. That has always been a culture where the players have been protected by Jerry. Always. There were times they could walk into his office, whether they actually physically did or not. I'm sure they did. But um, they – how gutless is it after they have the two and four start, the players start pointing the finger at the coaches in this particular case, who's a new staff, who's – they've dealt with some things themselves – instead of looking in the mirror and saying, it's on me. You could say whatever you want about Zeke Elliott, whoever you like about him or not, and he's been a bad part of this. He's been a major part of what's happened, contributed to the two and four start. But one thing about him, and you guys both respect this, you'll find him in the locker room after a win or a loss, after he fumbles twice or he runs for 200 yards. And I like that about him. Mm-hmm. This thing about them chirping now with Jane Slater, and I shared some text with her as well, yeah, that that kind of if That's they can't weak sauce smoke. It's weak yeah. sauce. What's that? It's weak sauce. Yeah, I mean. it is. It, it they got Washington on the schedule. They're going to win four of their six games in the division and probably be enough to get the seven eight wins. But uh, if they don't win in Washington, and the Redskins' offense is awful. The defense is young and talented, but their secondary is not very good. If they they don't win that game. Two and five, I think – I'm not saying it's over, but I think you're going to you, – if you have anonymous sources now, then you lose to one and five Washington, oh, my God, it'll be fun to watch next week. You, I know, still, gotta, you still got to play the Steelers and the Ravens. 
Yeah. Brad Sham hates this when fans do this, but is it too early for Dallas to tank for Trevor? Is that <laughs> not, not an option? No, no, you can't, you can't do that. They, they, man, I, I'll tell you another thing, and this is, this is not meant to be sarcastic, but there are teams in the NFL, usually six to eight to ten teams every year that lose their quarterback. Mm-hmm. The Cowboys, over their history, yeah, Romo eventually broke down. Uh, he went down. That's what allowed Dak to be who he was. But if you think about it, from even the days of Meredith, who took a beating, Morton mm-hmm. to Staubach to Danny White, they had a stretch there where they didn't have many guys get hurt. Yeah. And then they had the Aikman decade, and eventually concussions ran him out. And then they had that horrific five or six years where they didn't know what they were doing. But for the most part, their star quarterbacks have been very durable and healthy and long-term. And so I think Dak – I always thought Dak was almost too big to hurt, you know, kind of big, and that yeah. was a weird deal. Yeah. I, they're now understanding what life in the rest of the NFL has been like, really, quite frankly. And, and, and I hate it for them because I like watching Dak. I, I, I hate all of what now yeah. has to deal with Dak. But they're now dealing with what a lot of teams have dealt with at quarterback, either bad play or injuries with, with your stars. Yeah, Dak's terrific. I, I loved him at Mississippi State. He, he just had star written all over him. But And I'm sure Jerry's telling Stephen, if we'd have just taken Johnny Manziel. Oh, my God. All our problems would be fixed, right? Oh, <laughs> You know, my God. You, you think about Dallas. You know, Aikman, of course, was going to be the number one pick no matter who had it. Right. But Romo – they got what they paid him extra ten thousand dollars as an undrafted free agent. And right. who, who could he have been? What would they be without him? And then they get Dak in the fourth round. You got to give him credit. Everybody passed on him three and a half rounds. Yeah. They get Dak. Who knows where they are without you know without Dak? And so yeah, um, boy, that game Monday night that was a just horrible atrocious yeah wow, just a, the whole a, the worst part there. of that game was when Kenyon Drake they're just trying to run the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And he runs whatever it was, 69 yards, untouched, they quit. basically. They quit. And that's when you wonder, okay, we'll see where they are next week. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just got a text. Jerry Jones wants to know if the three of us can play offensive line against the Washington I, football team. Are you available, Smokey? Uh, when I was 282, I think I could at least <laughs> fill in for a play, but I'm not – no, I feel to be two eighty two. Oh, oh man, yeah. Think about it. they've lost Frederick for good. Yeah, He's possible done. Ring of Honor guy. May I'm not sure if he ever got Tyron Smith. We don't know if he'll ever play again. Yeah, Lyle Collins. He's young. He'll be five, but he's out. And then, you you know, Zach Martin with a concussion. They went from the yeah. deepest, most young, talented. Elite offensive line to to the Texans. Yeah, yeah, you're it's right. It's sad. So well, smoke, man. College football Saturday, and we're yes, sir. Yes, Can't sir. Wait. And it's always good to hear from you, brother, and um, and enjoy your stuff. And hopefully, uh, we'll get a season in, and uh, we'll be talking again soon. Yeah, I hope so. Who knows? Uh, both these teams maybe turn it around. Whoever wins this game, maybe they get a spark. I don't know. We'll see. Thanks, Smokey. We'll Appreciate thank it, man. Thank you. All right, brother. All right. Thank you, guys. On Second Thought. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or... The murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Duck, a great interview with David Smoke breaking down the Texas. Baylor game coming up, but we're going to hit the national scene. And we talk national football, national college football. It doesn't get much better than our next guest. Brett McMurphy, Stadium Network College Football Insider, joins us. One of the most polarizing figures in all of sports journalism, and that's why we love him. What's up, Brett? How you guys doing? Good to uh, be back with you again. What do you mean, said polarizing? Who doesn't like you, Brett? Does anybody not like you? So, 
You've only got a few uh, minutes here, Doug. This is going to take a while. Go ahead, Brett. Yeah, uh, I'll just say when I release my AP ballot every <laughs> Sunday that uh, everybody except who I vote number one hates me. So, yeah, basically I hate all 100 and – I guess it's not 130 this year. It's only 127 teams this year. <laughs> I like it. So they all, they all hate me back. Uh, I know, I know you're so ex- we are so excited that the uh, real football starts this weekend. The Big Ten is back, baby. And on behalf of the uh, great emancipator, Bob Bowlesby, the savior of college football, Brett, you're welcome. Um, wh- <laughs> what makes the Big Ten think that they can make this thing happen with very few, very little wiggle room as – comes to this COVID thing? Uh, You know, I don't know if they necessarily privately, I don't think anyone is confident that, hey, we've got this figured out. We are going to get the whole way through the season with no cancellations. But basically that was the only way the presidents would sign off on it. You know, they obviously were the the second league to to postpone, cancel, whatever, after the MAC did it. Um, and so then when everybody else was still playing, then they didn't want to be left out. And so they, they wanted to make sure, again, it can be safe for the student-athletes. And, you know, they actually had the strictest protocols as far as COVID. As you guys know, if the student-athlete tests positive, he's out 21 days. Well, they're only playing eight games. So if you're out 21 days, then you got to, you know, get back in shape. You're basically out half the season. Uh, Jeff Brown produced coach. He tested positive on Sunday. Right. It's different for coaches. They've got 10 days. So he'll miss uh, this weekend's game against Iowa, but expect him to be back the following week against Illinois. Um, but the difference with the Big Ten is, you know, unlike the Big 12 and other leagues, they've got – they play, uh, you know, cons- eight consecutive weeks and then the championship weekend, the title game and the other games, nine consecutive weeks. So if you have a game where you have a major outbreak like we've seen all over the country so far, there's no postponement. postponement. That means – those games will not be played. And big picture, how will the college football playoff selection committee look at the Big Ten um, if suddenly they go from an eight or nine game season to a five, six, or seven game season? That is the big unknown and something we'll have to find out. But, um, you know, that's the only way they could really get this thing going and get the presidents on board um, was these stricter COVID protocols. And now – um, we'll see if they can do what nobody else has done, and that's get through a season without a number of games uh, postponed or canceled. Yeah, it, it's just hard to hard to assume they will go through unscathed. And you know, you look at Michigan; their students are kind of been ordered to stay in place. Uh, and yeah, you know, <laughs> two weeks. Yeah, so and, you know, like I say, you're already losing a coach of Jeff Brom for ten days. So uh, I guess the Ryan Days and the Scott Frost of the world just say, "Well, just give us some football. We'll take it." You know, obviously they probably wish they'd started a week or two earlier. If you had to guess, just having been around the game and and knowing the people in the Big Ten and on the and some of the people on the committee, do you think there's a minimum number of games for them to be considered? Would it be like six games? Or do you think there is a, a certain number? No, there, there isn't a, there is not a certain number. And, you know, Kurt, I know, um, you know, you vote in the AP poll like I do. Uh, and we did, it's basically what we're doing. We're, we're judging teams that have played some games have played six games, some games have played three. And right. you're just doing the best job you can to evaluate what you know, based on what you've seen on the field. Again, I don't think a committee member is going to penalize, you know, look, Ohio State's the big chalk in the Big Ten. If Ohio State only plays six games, I don't think they're going to say, we can't pick Ohio State because they're, they're only 6-0. and yeah. You know, they didn't, they didn't cancel the games. The games would have been canceled because of COVID. Um, you know, right. maybe some guys will give an edge to a team that's maybe played 10 or 11 games with one loss compared with a team that's only played six games with one loss. But I, f- I feel very strongly that I think when we get down to the playoff announcements, if there is an undefeated Pac-12 champ team, which, look, we haven't even talked about them, they're yeah. only going to play seven games. The Big right. Ten's playing nine. Right. If there's an undefeated Pac-12 champ team at 7-0, and there is no way that team is not getting in the playoff as long as there is not four other undefeated teams. And unless Oklahoma State runs the table, and look, I'm a Cowboy alum, and I'm, you know, I'm not very optimistic on that. 
<laughs> so I think a 7-0 Pac-12 team is in the playoff. I think an undefeated Big Ten champion is in the playoff um, because even though they will not have played as many games, again, the committee looks at a lot of things, but they have yet to ever leave out an undefeated Power 5 conference champion team over a team with a loss. Now, once you lose a game, all bets are off, and then you're going to get all the comparisons about a one-loss non non-conference champ from the SEC or another league um, with all that. But um, yeah, I don't, your original question, Kurt, I don't, I don't think they're going to hold it against them. I mean, you know, Rice, Rice is playing middle Tennessee (laughs) Saturday, (laughs) middle Tennessee. This is middle Tennessee seventh game. This is Rice's season opener. (laughs) Obviously has never happened in the history of college football. Wow. So it it is a weird, weird year. Only, you know what? I, I want the Pac-12 chap to be unbeaten. I want there to be – I think I want Oregon's one of the best best five teams in the country. I yep. want there to be five unbeatens, and I want <laughs> that, that committee – I want that committee to figure it out because for you to say that won't happen, Brett, remember, my friend, it's 2020. It's 2020. And 2020 happens. Nice that, means, that means my pokes are going to go undefeated. So there you go. Fair. Let's go, poke. Let's go, yeah. Mullet. It can happen. I'm the other way. I'm the other way, Cedric and Brad. I I want a group of five in there, and I know that would let. Ain't the gonna kids. happen. I Ain't know. Gonna happen. I Never. know. And as long as there's four, as Alabama. long as there's four teams in the playoff, the committee yeah. will never ever put a group five team. And if there's any group of five fans out there, don't <laughs> shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you how the committee <laughs> looks at this. And they are never going to do that with four teams. And that's why we will go to eight teams, yeah. but not until the current deal's up in five, five or six more years. Yeah, well, I, five stands for G-O-F, which means <laughs> get out, fella. You're not getting in here. This yeah, is they, for the big boys. But, guys, here's their chance of, like, see, we'll put a group of five if Cincinnati goes unbeaten or SMU goes unbeaten, and then we never have to hear that crap anymore about how – we won't let them in. They could do it once if, say, Clemson's undefeated, Alabama's undefeated, uh, your Cowboys are undefeated, and nobody else is undefeated. Then you let ten and O SMU in, and they get. So, Carrot, are you gonna? So, on your AP ballot, are you gonna rank <laughs> undefeated love. SMU or undefeated Cincinnati over one loss? You know, nine and one or ten and one Georgia or nine and one, ten and one Florida or seven and one Ohio state. Is now, that, are you saying your ballot's going to have the undefeated? Now, why are you trying to, five team that? That? I hate your because you, life question. <laughs> yeah. That's why I love me some Brett McMurphy. <laughs> that's why I love him. Uh, he got right to it while you're spitting out, spewing that crap uh, from your mansion you. in, in South Austin. Okay. A, okay. a, a, a real, litigator slash journalist got to the really real and you had nothing to say. You had I, nothing got, to say. I got one other snare for both of you. Okay. Georgia now runs the table. Okay. Beat Alabama yeah. in a rematch and, and people are wanting two SEC teams in and Indiana wins the big 10 undefeated. Then who do you put in Brett? Indiana. They would have beat Ohio state somewhere, Ooh. somehow, some way. But you'll never go to Georgia. You can't cross state lines, then go in Georgia. Every wait a minute. Time. But wait a minute. I can get, I can get in an airplane. I mean, <laughs> you get, said... they're not. But the thing is, you're not going to have to. You're you're not going to have to pick Indiana over. Um, you're picking again. The, again, you're asking what would I do? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what's technically what I would do. I th- the committee though is not going to leave out an undefeated conference champion. Yeah. If that means the SEC only gets one team in, they're only going to get one team in. But that just means the team that doesn't win the conference will not get in unless they do something squirrely like they did when Penn State won the Big Ten championship and didn't get in over but a non-champion. Said, but, Duck, you said that what if Georgia runs the table? Yeah. That's one a one-loss loss. That's a one loss Georgia. Right. Presumably beating a one-loss Alabama. And right. then Indiana wins the Big Ten. Yeah. That's three spots. What's the – What's the problem? Clemson and undefeated. Clemson, Clemson, that's four. Now what? Now what's your problem? SEC will want two teams, and they say Alabama and Georgia each beat each other. They're so much better than Indiana. 
Hey, I got breaking news. The SEC wants four teams in. <laughs> <laughs> and they won't rest until they do. I, I've got no problem with Alabama. A one-loss Alabama, one-loss Georgia, an unbeaten Indiana, taking three of those – and Clemson taking those four spots. What about the Pac-12? Unbeaten? What about the Pac-12? They're playing seven games. I'm sorry. They're at third seven. If Oregon or USC seven and out, they're getting in. Yeah, they weren't good. They they weren't that good when they were playing twelve. So why am I looking at them if they play seven? They better be unbeaten. That's mm-hmm. that's for sure. Right. Well, let me be ask unbeaten. you both. Then are you saying that there's probably no way two SEC teams get in this year? Uh, I think it's going to be very difficult again, unless you have an unless you have a number of. Again, the conference champions all have one loss. Yeah. Or a conference champ, God forbid, has two losses. Right. Then, yeah, then, then it's open game. Then I, then I think you absolutely can't have two from one conference. But mm-hmm. for everything that the committee looks at, and I don't know if you've gone through the mock process, um, I but I have. Yeah. So, it, again, it, they want to make it so complicated, but it's very simple. They look at the win-loss record. And I know it's not that simple. A lot more goes into that. But there's no way they're going to leave out an undefeated conference power, power five, power five, emphasize that conference champ. But mm-hmm. then once you get that one loss in the loss column, uh, then, it's, then it's open game. And then I think it could open it up where you could get mm-hmm. multiple teams um, from another league in if – the other conferences are all have teams with losses. Yeah. Then I, then I think, yeah, then you can see some squirrely scenarios where you get to two from one conference. And look, we're sitting here talking about how great Alabama is. We're talking about how great Georgia is. Bottom line is we don't know really how good they are compared with the big 10 or the PAC 12 because nobody's playing each other. That's true. So now it becomes even more subjective than ever. Um, and it's going to, Hey, it makes it our jobs easier because people are going to, be uh, really uh, upset and want to talk about it and it'll make uh, great radio and podcasts and all that stuff. For sure. Well, let me ask you, is Ohio state at all beatable? And if so, who is the second best team in the big 10 as we open play this weekend? You know, I, I would say Penn state, they certainly have the most talent. Um, they lost journey Brown. They're starting running back on, yeah. um, it was either Sunday or Monday. Uh, the school announced he's got a medical issue going on. Yeah. And he may not play this season. He was their starting running back last year. And then they had Micah Parsons opt out. So they basically lost their best offensive player, their best defensive player. But they do return 10 starters on offense. Um, Sean Clifford, the quarterback is very good. And uh, um, their tight end is one, one if not the best um, in the country. So – James Franklin's done a really, really good job there. And I, I think I would put them second, although Wisconsin, I think, Wisconsin, you know, they're in the other division. They've got a – they've probably got the next best chance because they don't play Ohio State or Penn State in the regular season. Um, so they could, they could get through, um, you know, easier than, than having to face Ohio State and Penn State. But I, I think it's, it's at Ohio State excuse me, Penn State or Wisconsin. And then after that, you drop down to the Iowas and yeah. uh, Minnesotas and those guys. Well, you went a whole, you did a whole Big Ten spiel and didn't mention Coach Khaki. Has Jim Harbaugh finally worn out his welcome in Ann Arbor? No, because he's an alum. I mean, he he may have worn it out compared to you and I, but we're not – we're not mm-hmm. we're not Michigan, and and I think you I think he gets a lot of um, I don't want to say leeway because of that, but certainly it it makes it more difficult for them to do anything. And again, keep in mind um, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but he's won nine or ten games every year he's been there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, none of those games are against Ohio State. So that's the problem. That's, um, the, that's problem. that's the problem. He hasn't won a division yet. And he's very, he gets a lot, of, a lot of attention, and he's hyped up, and he hasn't met those expectations. If, let's say, uh, P.J. Fleck, how's that, for Minnesota? Yes. Let's say P.J. Fleck had the same record after the same number of years as Harbaugh, 
we'd be lauding PJ Fleck as you know one of the best coaches around. And I'm not saying he's he's not now, but yeah, certainly yeah. we would look at that differently because obviously Minnesota's not Michigan, right? Um, but here's real quick. Here's Harbaugh's win totals his five years at Michigan: ten and three, ten and three, eight and five, ten and three, nine and four. You know, probably 90% of the schools in the country would take that all in day, a heartbeat. All day. But sure. because you're Jim Harbaugh, because of you, – you want to talk polarizing. You opened with me. Yeah. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a 1. Harbaugh's at 32. So, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of that plays into it. And so when you don't win, then people are there to remind you that you haven't won. Um, but certainly, yeah, he's got to – he is in no way on the hot seat. But he does absolutely – he's got to do something about that Ohio State problem because, as you guys know, you know, covering Texas, if you don't beat Oklahoma, you're going to hear – you know, you're going to hear about it uh, 365 days a year except that leap year, you hear it 366 days a year. So, imagine that for Harbaugh now going on six years straight. Yeah, I think uh, Tom Herman might take Jim Harbaugh's record, you know. Uh, my We've talked about it before, but what's your updated view on Tom Herman from afar, Brett? I, from afar, it, to me, it's kind of, it, <laughs> I don't want to say hysterical. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of mind blowing that the, that Texas, and I guess, you know, I've seen the, I don't want to necessarily say the reports, but I guess the, the fan, some, there are fans out there that, that want urban and they want to make a change and all this. And mm-hmm. it's like, I, I guess I understand part of that, but then part of me is like, you know, the guy's been there, you know, this is his fourth year. Um, you know, are you, is Texas ever going to give anybody long enough to really try to do something? And I know, you know, Charlie, you know, things didn't go well there. And he, he obviously had some losing records in there and the, the loss to Kansas was a nail in the coffin. So that, that makes sense. But I, I think with Herman, actually, in a weird way, I think beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl probably – I don't want to say hurt him, but as far as perception, I think it – again, this is me from afar. I think it gave the perception that Texas was further along at that mm-hmm. point than they really were because, look, you guys know the program inside and out. To me, it seemed like they were still young. They, they benefited a lot from a lot of things that year. And maybe they really weren't that good. And so when they beat Georgia, a Georgia team that was obviously impacted by not winning the SEC, that contributed some of it, even though Texas did win the game. Right. Now, then I think now the, now the expectations, you know, Sam's out there, yeah, but we're back. All that stuff fed into it where, okay, Texas went from that to now they're going to contend for a national title. Now they're going to, you know, they're going to win the Big 12 and all that. When I think realistically, I don't think they were to that point. So I think that is kind of, I think that has contributed to the, um, you know, not reaching the expectations up to this point. Um, but certainly you can't, on the flip side, a Texas coach, you, correct me if I'm wrong. What, what do you guys, not you guys, Texas is three and seven, the last 10 against TCU or something like that. You, mm-hmm. you can't, that's you're Texas. You can't be three and seven yeah. against TCU. Um, yeah. Oklahoma, that's a 50-50 coin flip. You know, yeah. it. you're not going to dominate that series, you know, since, you know, Switzer dominated it when he was at Oklahoma. But that series a coin flip. So, but you've got to take care of the rest of the conference other than Oklahoma. We talked about my alma mater, Oklahoma State, um, until – until I think last year, Oklahoma State had won something like five straight against Texas. Like that's how in the world is that happening? Um, and so I think part of that adds into all that. So I've rambled on long enough. I don't know if I actually answered your question, but I'm just kind of giving you kind of how I see it. Um, but, you know, look, if, if Texas gets rid of Herman, there will be plenty of people that, that want to take, uh, take his spot. But, you know, you just wonder, are they ever going to have the patience to let somebody get to a, you know, get to a fifth or sixth year, um, you know, without winning a, a conference title? I guess, I guess we'll find out. And you wonder, you know, look, Texas has more money than God. 
but does the COVID issues, um, the financial implications, it's, it's obviously hit everybody over the country. Is that going to impact some of these athletic directors, Texas and other schools, as far as making decisions because of the financial implications um, that, that's, you know, impacting right. everybody? Well, you know, um, we, all, we all thought Kirk of back me up on this. After they beat Georgia, we had thought before that season that they were going to be next year's team. Which would have, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Yeah, going into Sam's junior year, I think yes. they exceeded expectations that that Georgia Sugar Bowl year, and then the next right. year, if if I remember correctly, got my years lined up right. That was the year they were decimated with injuries. Mm-hmm. In the second, and year, then yes, and, and then they basically they they didn't live up to expectations. Well, the problem was, I agree with you. I thought that third year was going to be the year. Now the expectations had increased. Now you have the injury issues, the 50-50 balls don't go your way. And now they've severely um, fell short of the even higher expectations. And then it's like, what's going on here? You guys just beat Georgia. You said you're back. And now you've regressed. And I think that's, you know, part of the kind of the noise out there. And obviously the uh, you know, uncertainty is fair or not, but just what, what I was going on now. And then, um, you know, again, you know, the T you can lose to OU. I think yeah. Longhorn fans, as much as they hate to admit it, that you can justify losing to OU, you know, every other year, but you, you can't lose the TCU games. You can't lose the Oklahoma state games and whatever else is out there. Yeah, and last year they lost. Uh, you can throw in Bader and Iowa State in those losses too. Yeah. What's this, what's this word patience you're talking about? I'm not familiar with that word. Is that, uh, I, I think the last the last time that word was in play was at Virginia Tech because Frank Beamer told me his first six years he had like five losing seasons. Wow. Um, and he said he said the thing that surprised him the most um, were two things. One was that. They they let him keep going, and obviously we know how that turned out. Right. They gave him some patience, and he he wasn't fired after three or four years. And the second thing was is that when he did his introductory press conference, he thanked everybody on the face of the earth except for one person. He forgot to thank his wife. So he's he was amazed he wasn't fired, and he was amazed he wasn't divorced. So. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah, I, I think – you know, the fact that they seem to be regressing after the Georgia win, you know, they were seven and five in the regular season uh, before, you know, beating Utah in the Alamo Bowl. And then it's like, okay, well, all right, we'll give you a pass. Your secondary was killed. You almost beat LSU, and they were pretty decent last year. Uh, and then this year, you know, okay, Oklahoma's got two losses. You got Sam, your senior quarterback, breaking all these records. And then you lay an egg up there, even though – they came back and made it competitive. But it's, it's like, if not now, when? And you're right. They're, they're obviously not known for their patience down here. But it's like well, – It's a two-edged sword. I mean, because obviously, you, you know, Texas should be competing for the yeah. for the big – not competing, but competing and winning yeah. the Big 12 title, you know, on a fairly regular basis. But, they haven't um, won it since 09, you know. They should be the Penn State. They should be the Penn State of the Big 12 – yeah, you know, we know Ohio State's running things, but uh, Penn State's always there in case Ohio State slips. Texas is no longer the number the number two team on question in this league. They're, they're there with the other cluster of teams, and falls right. on top. Well, you brought you brought up a great point, and that's that's similar to when you talked about Mr. Khaki Pants earlier, and that's what the Michigan people have a problem with. In the five or six years Harbaugh has been at Michigan, he's never beat Ohio State. Well, yeah. guess what? Ohio State's won their conference titles, but you know what? Penn State has won a conference title in yes. that time frame. Michigan State has won a conference title in that time frame. And right. what did they do? They beat Ohio State. Right. So that's been Harbaugh's kryptonite. Um, you know, Texas's kryptonite has been losing to the, the Iowa States, the, mm-hmm. the TCUs of the world. And I think, you know, Real quickly, it's obvious, but it it jumps out to me is the defense has been putrid. And, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily fair for 
for um, as far as the, you know how the defense is is played or it's been pretty bad. Um, it's been bad. Yeah, yeah. but bad. you know I know scoring's up and uh, you know yada yada all that, but still, my God, you, you know if you can't if you can't hold teams under fifty, <laughs> you know unless you're unless you're basketball, you're you're not going to have a shot. Exactly. Well, we can't let you go without asking you the Urban Meyer question. So, uh, one, do you think he wants to coach again? What's What's your view of his health concerns? And has he just kind of fallen into this, you know, lifestyle of being on TV with much less stress? Well, first I want to preface it. Obviously, you know, you guys are well aware of my history of right. what I reported with Urban a couple of years ago. So, this is just – my opinion. I'm, I do not have any inside information on this. It's just strictly my opinion from afar. Um, he's done an unbelievable job on, on television. I think everyone agrees with that. Good. He's good. Knowing how competitive he is, though, I really think he wants, he wants to get back in it. But it's got to be a place like a Texas, like a USC, where he can come in and win a national championship. He's not going to be a Mac Brown and go to North Carolina where he's going to have to build a program. He wants a national title contender ready to go where he comes in and, and does his magic and wins that you asked the question about the health that's the million dollar question is personally does he want to do that because if you guys go back to that last year at ohio state yeah. when he's on the sideline i mean he, he's literally falling to his knees grabbing his head he's got yep. some ser- some serious issues going on there with and it's it's stress induced because you see him on tv now he's, he's very good on tv He's very engaging. He's very he's very relaxed. He's not every every play is not fourth and one at the mm-hmm. goal line, mm-hmm. and obviously that's a big concern if he comes back. Um, but I do think, bottom line, yeah, I do think that he would come back and coach in the college game at a school that, at like a Texas, like a USC that. Um, has a tremendous tradition that can and does have the resources to win a national title. Hell, hell Jerry Jones maybe should hire him. Well, he's too smart to go there because <laughs> the players want to listen to the listen to you in the in the pros in the college. You still got a shot. You think he'd I mean, take Texas over Southern Cal, Brett? I think it would come down to surprise, surprise, money where he thought he had the best chance to win a national championship. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, it, I thought he would – I think ultimately if you, if, you know, you gave him truth serum and mm-hmm. asked him where – in one spot he would want to go, I think it would be Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Right. But with Brian, he was an assistant there. Right. You know, early in his coaching career, Brian Kelly just signed a, an yeah. extension, so he's going to be there a while. I think Brian Kelly has realized – his opportunities to move on to the NFL mm-hmm. are kind of behind him now. And so he's kind of, I don't want to say accepted, but he's like, he's comfortable at Notre Dame. And, you know, he wants to, you know, we, um, on our stadium college football show that runs every week, we, we had him on uh, earlier this year and basically asked him point blank, are you going to end your career at Notre Dame? And he said he would now, you know, obviously he can change his mind, but mm-hmm. um, I think ultimately if, if, if you gave Urban true serum, I think that would be his number one pick. As far as between Texas and USC, that's a tough call. I mean, again, it, that's personal preference. Um, and you and I could sit here and give all the reasons why one of those schools would be the better fit. And it, those reasons may not m- mean anything to him. And he may want to go to the other school for a completely different yeah. um, reason. Right. But I do think, yeah, I think he wants to be able to – if. If this is, I think it's correct. I'm not sure. I don't think anybody's won a national title at three schools. I um, think that's correct. I think you're right. certainly he would. He obviously that would be a great way to go out. Yeah. And uh, he's still young. Yep, he is too young. I just can't see him doing TV the rest of his life. No, I think, I think he wants to go back at it one yep. more time. Yeah, but he doesn't want to rush into anything. He mm-hmm. it's got to be the perfect situation. Mm-hmm. Because nobody's going to remember what he did at Florida, Ohio State, if he goes to, we'll say Texas or USC, pick your pick your school, yeah. and he ends up being a 500 coach there. Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to go out that way. Really isn't. Yeah. So, well, listen. Uh, appreciate you being with us. Uh, continue being polarizing. 
And, <laughs> and when 7-0 and Big Ten champion Indiana gets left out, I'm not going to say I told you so, okay? Well, we're going we're gonna to call him. Call and me back. On the pod. Call me back. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, we appreciate it, man. I will. We'll talk I will. about 7-0 and Oregon. You got there it. There we go. Thank, Thank you, brother. Fred. Take care. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. All right. See you, buddy. See you. Bye. On Second Thought. That will do it for episode 197 of On Second Thought. We have to thank Sikkim 365 host David Smoke and Stadium Network's um, Brett McMurphy for joining us today. For the Duck Kirk Bowles and, as usual, our illustrious producer, Adam Fish, I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.